Welcome to another episode of Salty Talks. Today we are going to delve into a topic that is pivotal in the evolving landscape of aquaculture. I have the pleasure of being joined by two brilliant women who embody the spirit of innovation and resilience in the aquaculture sector. While both of them are pursuing their PhDs, they are also cultivating oysters. I had a great time talking to these two about the importance of gender equality in aquaculture. And you might remember a few months ago, I recorded an episode with Libby Davis at Lady Shuckers discussing the importance of representation in aquaculture. This episode definitely shows that this should be an ongoing topic of conversation. My name is Amanda Moser, and I'm the owner and operator of Lane's Island Shellfish. It's an oyster farm in Casco Bay, about nine acres in size. And I'm also a PhD student at Antioch University. And I'm Taja Sims Harper. I'm a PhD student at the University of New Hampshire, Um, also an oyster farmer. Before we dive deep into the heart of today's discussion, I thought it would be great to set the foundation. So I asked each of these women to share a bit about themselves, their current endeavors, and the initial sparks that ignited their journeys in the marine science and aquaculture field, and also how they met. Okay, so just generally, I'm studying the distribution of wages, benefits, access, and well-being in Maine small-scale fisheries and aquaculture. As far as farming techniques go, I use some floating culture um, oyster bags, but primarily I seed oysters directly on the bottom of the ocean without any gear, and they live there for about two years, and then I go out and hand harvest rake or snorkel to pick them up. So it resembles a natural oyster bed. When I harvest oysters and I'm in the water, I use a fish tote with an inflatable tube around it. Cool. And it looks kind of funny. Like one time when I was fishing right here on New Meadows Lake, someone called and reported me as drowned dead. (laughs) 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 And totally stopped traffic on Route 1. And I look up to see ambulances. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) So it's like uh, atypical. Did you know that they were there for you? I had no idea any of this was happening. Like, what's going on? Yeah, I've had the police call on me um, three times while attempting to harvest oysters. So my PhD project is in uh, microplastic pollution, so um, it's kind of a pilot study that I'm doing down in Great Bay, New Hampshire, um, where I'm looking at the microplastic um, quantity in the water um, throughout Great Bay, um, also in oysters, uh, fish species, and uh, green crabs, just to kind of get an idea of like what's going on microplastic-wise down there. And then um, I kind of moved it up to Casco Bay, so now I'm looking at um, microplastics in uh, both wild and farm, just to compare um, which one may have more. And that could be due to several different things. I think the biggest thing is probably age, just because we farm them earlier than wild sits out there for like you know five, six, seven plus years, and then. Um, farmed we usually collect at like two three years so there's a lot less plastic in them so yeah i studied fisheries ecology as part of my undergrad and then i studied conservation biology and i shifted towards aquaculture because that's just the trend in global seafood production and the reason i chose to study fish and shellfish 
as opposed to some of the more charismatic megafauna is because they're a primary source of food and protein across the globe. They're super important source of micronutrients, their jobs, their livelihoods, and they're a part of the culture all across the world. So I was originally interested in fish and aquatic ecology, but I'm more interested in people these days. So I went to undergrad at UMaine in Orono, and I just, I really love the ocean. I think that's just why I started. How I got into aquaculture was um, through a mentor of mine. He was an ecologist who worked with oyster farmers all over Maine. And one summer, I was like, I don't really know what to do. I'm a junior, like, I'm kind of like in between, like, do I do mammals? That's what everyone else is doing. Or do I do like, because I loved everything. And um, he brought me around to a couple oyster farms that summer. And I realized like how cool it was just to like see a problem, kind of be able to like fix it in a way. We were looking at blister worms in oyster shells and the farmers were like, they're kind of ruining our harvest because they're creating these like huge mud pockets and we can't sell the oysters when that happens. And so then we started like developing an experiment to kind of test like how to get rid of the larvae and I just thought it was super cool because by the end of the summer it was like there was a lot less um, of the blister in populations and I was like oh so like I made change which I thought was cool and oyster farming seems pretty dope because I don't like being inside in a lab and I can be on the water I was like oh this is cool and then throughout the years I started working with minorities in aquaculture who introduced me to kelp farming and then introduced me to Amanda, which was great. Yeah, I kind of just started learning a lot more about oyster farming and aquaculture. And I was just like, I think this is something I really want to do. So I just started doing it. I interned with the Nature Conservancy first in 2018. And Amanda, I think, had just left that year, like literally right before. And then, yeah, through Minorities in Aquaculture, um, Imani was like, oh, I'm going up to visit. Like, yeah, you're gonna come with me. And I was like, cool. She's like, yeah, her name's Amanda. And I was like, okay. And I didn't like connect it. And then we're like sitting on the boat and I'm looking <laughs> at Amanda, cause I never met her. And I was like sitting there looking at her. And then Imani had said, yeah, like you used to work for the Nature Conservancy. And then something in my brain just like popped. And I was like, oh my god and I was like you're Amanda and I like yelled it and she was like yeah and I was like and she's like looking at me and I'm like no I I know this is weird I was like but I was like I've known you kind of since 2018 but we've never met and this happened like what last last year was that last summer I think that was last summer (laughs) and then it turned out we both lived in the same basement in New Hampshire for a while yeah <laughs> yeah, so that was really cool. At different times. Different times. <laughs> I would hope. I would hope that, was, that would be weirder. It was, it was so dark, time. we never saw each other. No, right? <laughs> yeah. To start off our conversation, I wanted to know if Amanda and Taja feel there is gender inclusivity within the aquaculture sector, or if there's still a bit of a road ahead of us. Being immersed in the field, both academically and practically, I wanted to know how their experiences may have shaped their viewpoints. No, not at all. I guess I developed that perspective from working in different positions along the seafood value chain. So I've worked as an unpaid partner of a fisherman, then I worked in seafood processing, and then I've worked in research, and finally starting my own farm. I've run my farm for about eight years, 
perhaps the climate is starting to change, but when I started my farm and participated in some of the training programs, I was typically the only woman or one of of a couple women, and I didn't really have any role models that were older than me and looked like me that I could envision myself in their position. So a lot of the people that were presented as leaders and people to aspire to be like were um, men running large businesses, which is not what I'm doing. Listening to Amanda talk reminded me of when I was working in fisheries labs. Figures that looked like me were few and far between, but occasions when I did encounter role models that I could see myself in made all the difference. Figures who echo our ambitions, trajectories, and barriers or struggles are so important in shaping our future. And I wanted to know if Amanda or Taja had individuals who helped paint a picture of what could be attainable for them in this field. Yeah, I think the irony of that is that there there were a few leaders, but for whatever reason, they weren't included in some of the speaking engagements and training programs. So I never had the opportunity to meet them or learn from them. Eventually, when I found out about like Barb Scully in particular and about her farming methods, I felt so relieved because I was like, oh, somebody else is doing this too. Because the way I was farming was really different from the other models that I was presented with. Yeah, she was culturing oysters on the bottom. And then I read an article where she had this really cool inner title flip farm system. Definitely. I, I've always had my story and I could never relate to anyone because it's like not just my background in aquaculture it's also just like my background as a black woman and so that's hard to convey to people who just don't understand what it's like to grow up in certain households there's not a lot of women that I've seen in my field and like I'm from Oakland California and this is not something that like pops in your head when you grow up over there so I was like very unique in that and so a lot of my friends like are in all different areas of life. They do a lot of entertainment kind of things and management things. And they're always like, why do you want to be in dirt and water? And I'm like, I just find it fascinating and it's fun. And I was talking to a friend and I was like, I just wish there was a group of women who were of color, who were interested in what I'm interested in. I just feel very like different than everyone else. And I feel like I don't really fit in and I feel like I don't know like what I'm doing. And then I found Imani, and then this whole amazing group started to fill out. And so it's been super awesome to learn about the women who are doing all different kinds of aquaculture, and they're all over the states. There's a lot in California, but they're like in Idaho, in Florida, you know, kind of just all over the place. And then like, there's a lot that are even like, I think we have a couple uh, members in Italy, like they're literally everywhere. So it's been super awesome just to like, meet them via like zoom and like talk to them about their experiences and how similar they are because then it's like okay i'm not by myself on this journey i'm not not weird i'm not like an alien i was like cool so (laughs) it's not just about following a similar path but about seeing someone who shares your background your struggles and has navigated the same waters successfully i see both amanda and taja as role models paving a more inclusive path for others coming into the field of aquaculture serving as some type of representation for those wanting to venture in. That's what I would like to be is like a role model for people. I think it's just like building the mindset that like I am in a position to be able to do that. So that's kind of where I'm at. It's just like 
telling myself you are that person so like it's okay to say you are you know <laughs> but I guess like I actually just share the sentiments you say like I've never thought of myself that way yeah. I think women tend to be more humble and are susceptible to imposter syndrome yeah and I guess one thing that I've just really appreciated working with you but other people like Emily at Emily's Oysters is that Maybe we didn't have the support systems that we needed when we needed them, but we're, we've like, I don't know, through working with you all, yeah. we've built, just done it ourselves. Yeah. So we created that. that like supportive community that we always kind of wanted. Yeah. Which is awesome. And then hopefully can provide that to other people. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's starting to happen. Yeah, I think so. On the topic of role models and learning from others, I turned to Amanda, who recently embarked on a journey of knowledge exchange and collaboration down in Mexico to connect with women who have been cultivating oysters in Puerto Penasco for multiple decades. So I received a travel grant from MAIC, it was a farmer exchange program, to travel down to Puerto Penasco, Mexico, and learn from a women's oyster farming cooperative located on the in the Gulf of California, and they've been working collaboratively for over 40 years, growing oysters, raising children, running a restaurant. They do some ecotourism. I went down with the intention of, I guess I was just very curious about how they managed to work together for such an extended period of time. They've been in business as long, if not longer, than any operation in Maine. Um, and they've been very successful at it. So I wanted to learn like how they make decisions as a group. I was interested to see their farming methods because they're much more similar to mine than um, floating cages, aquaculture in Maine. And I also just wanted to like celebrate and work with women that had um, that bulk of experience and see how their work evolved as they aged. The way this co-op is structured is that they're all farming within a single estuary. And um, it looks a lot like our farm where everyone's gear is color coded and um, each person farms a particular section. And um, I think at peak production, they've grown about 2 million oysters a year. This is in um, shallow water that drains out at low tide and they use floating lines, and they actually use something that looks very similar to floating cages that they invented themselves 40 years ago. So Go Deep did not design <laughs> floating cages. These women in Mexico have been doing it for a long time. And they made it themselves with what like look like the plastic trays that you put soda bottles in to recycle. They stack those on top of each other, and then there's a piece of styrofoam and they simply use ropes. They don't use any sort of shackles. They just tie really sick knots. <laughs> so the way their co-op is structured is that everyone buys their own seed and farms their own oysters. What they share um, is land and some infrastructure. So they have a restaurant and each of the families takes the restaurant for a week they bring in all of the supplies, like plates, cups, water. They have, they have no running water electricity at this location, and they're managing to produce that volume of oysters and running a restaurant that's 
has, it has high traffic flow. Um, so they each family keeps the proceeds of the restaurant that week. And then the next week you like pack everything out. Another family packs it in. And the families that are run by matriarchs, so, but it's um, men and women working together. It's like grandma, grandson, aunts, um, nephews, everybody. My job was dishwasher. And the cool thing about my trip was they paid me. Like everyone's work is valued and I knew nothing and I started on the bottom and they saw that I did a good job washing dishes and paid me and then the next day I got to go to the farm. <laughs> so they've had as many as 100 members. Right now it's eight solid you know, women that are the head of their families that work together. I asked them what the benefit of cooperating is and they said either we cooperate or we have nothing. So I don't know that it's a, a choice as much as a necessity. I really like the simplicity of the way they set up their floating lines. And I think I can cut out some expenses by mirroring um, the knots that they use and the way they set up their gear. They face very similar challenges to what I face with my operation and other farmers face in Maine. For example, seed shortages, um, predation, storms. Coastal development, changes in water quality. You know, that part, we had so many, we had so much more in common. Similar to Amanda, Taja had mentioned earlier about learning and finding connection and community with a group of women. And I wanted to hear how her experiences with minorities in aquaculture, started by Amani Black a few years ago, has helped shape her trajectory. Minorities in Aquaculture um, is a nonprofit um, organization that was started in 20. 20 um and i was the first member i think she had just started she's like getting her name out and i messaged her immediately and i was like hey you don't know me but i'm very excited because i literally was just talking about this and she was like yeah i just started and like if you want to like do um a zoom call and like we can talk about like what your goals are and in aquaculture goals are just i guess in life what you want to like get out of this group and so we started talking and uh, at the time I was interested in kelp farming. And then from that, we kind of talked about like her goals of like what the group would grow into. And like since then it's grown into like, I think we have 200 plus members all over the country, even outside the country. And it's, it's a huge like support for women in a lot of, different aspects if you want to learn about oyster farming you know she started internships last year last summer in different states on different oyster farms just to give us opportunity to learn the day-to-day -day what oyster farming is for people who have never been near the ocean I think that the group has just created a lot of opportunity for a lot of um, just minority women, like women of color, to get into spaces that we usually aren't. I think the biggest goal is that um, she had asked somebody like, okay, name me like a woman or two of color that you know who is in aquaculture. And no one could like, they're like, oh, um, I don't know. like, And so now she's like, now you can name 11 this summer because we're all over the place. So. 
I think the goal is just to like kind of start to get us out there because we do exist and just like get our names out there and give us more experiences. And that's kind of the goal. As both Amanda and Taja told me about their experiences in Mexico and with minorities in aquaculture, it seemed that with determination, both these women sought out connection and communication on their own, which led me to think about the broader sector in terms of finding pathways that foster inclusivity. How can we as a community work towards cultivating a more gender-inclusive field? Generally, in, in fisheries and aquaculture, women tend to be more present in the unpaid shore-based labor, and then also in the lower-paid, more precarious processing work. So women are very um, involved in getting seafood to the table. For people that aren't as familiar with the day-to-day work of fishing and sea farming, there's a lot of work that happens on land, and that's those are things like running to get supplies, doing all the paperwork and licensing, doing the taxes, a lot of the community engagement work, and then um, responsibilities around the home too. So, but in the I work in the production sector now, running my own shellfish farm, and some gaps I I mean one major gap I see is that. A lot of the aquaculture development programs were designed with the idea that they would train fishermen to become farmers. And we can really replace that word fishermen with 95% white males. So those are the people that have been encouraged to enter the sector. And I think it's time to start emphasizing new entrants. So younger people, more women, and also like a more diverse population of people working on the water. And the seeds that we plant today are what we'll be harvesting like five or 10 years from now. So it kind of has to happen now. I'm super interested in like the education, like reaching out like younger kids. Like yesterday when we were doing, um, the Nature Conservancy put on like a whole program for high school students who are they I think they grew up in they live in like Manchester so they're not exposed to the ocean water like they don't really know about aquaculture they didn't you know they don't think about that aspect of like a a living like making a living that way which I find similar because I'm from Oakland and that's not something I thought of growing up because that's not something that was brought to me over there I always want to or I'd like to eventually create like a program where you could like travel to schools and like cater to and just like really teach them hands on what aquaculture is, why it's important, that it is a viable option just to like make a living. But I think just like educating from a younger age so that they understand early on why it is important to do farming and like aquaculture and ocean farming and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. I think about that a lot. It's always in my mind. <laughs> but I do think like one thing we're missing is reaching out to the like recognizing the diversity that is already here and people yeah. who might want to participate in aquaculture. Like for example, I work with two Vietnamese families. Mm-hmm. And they both have a multi-generational history of owning and operating aquaculture businesses, primarily shrimp aquaculture. And we're not really... In Maine? Yeah, in Maine, right down the street in Brunswick. And um, they, you know, come with a lot of experience. And when I work alongside them, they teach me skills (laughs) 
So I, I feel like we're not really um, making any strides in integrating other people that could do really well in aquaculture or that already have an inherent interest because it's been, you know, instead of a 30-year history, there's a 300-year history in the country that they came from. My biggest thing is just outreach. I feel like we don't go further than the coast, you know? Like, I feel like we stay, and the people that are mostly on the coast are people who have, who have money and access. And so that's why I really love the program that I was a part of yesterday, just because they're bringing students to the coast. They're paying for them to get bused to two places where they can learn about the ocean. So, so I think I think it's the biggest thing is just reaching further in. Because there are, I think, a ton of people inland who are interested in aquaculture, interested in the water, who we just haven't touched on. And I think that could broaden the demographic. I think I could, I don't know. If you, Even if you go like an hour inland, it's yeah. completely different. And I'm sure most of those people are like, if they haven't, seen the beaches or the ocean or don't really know about things if you start teaching them i'm sure they'll have a huge interest in it it's just they haven't been exposed to something like that so it's like we just have to start going more inland and reaching more people and i think that would help at the heart of it i think first people need to at least recognize that we're where we're at at this point in, in time like i feel like a lot of the institutions and organizations don't see gender or race as an issue when it actually is. Like we are not even on an equal footing, let alone an equitable footing, and we're not gonna make any progress or transform anything until that's acknowledged. We need to start collecting demographic data on participation, both for fishing and aquaculture licenses. We need, and that information needs to be collected for people participating in all sections of the seafood value chain to see who is participating. Because if we look at national trends, we actually see that um, people of color are overrepresented in seafood. Mm -hmm. But that, same for women, yeah. but that per participation is really concentrated yeah. in the lowest wage. Um, most precarious positions so people are involved but are they involved in the kind of positions they want to be in are they in the most empowering jobs how much are they getting paid compared to their um, counterparts I think you need to ask people what their aspirations are and where they want to be because those jobs are sometimes those jobs are really valuable too like if you're in processing and you can work overtime and get cash mm -hmm. and maybe send it back home to your family like that might be very important to some people but I think but I also think people should all of those options should be open yeah. to them and we shouldn't funnel people into those jobs based on gender or race. But if we look at participation or benefits or labor, like across the seafood value chain, we can actually like expand our lens and include all the people that yeah. are part of the food system. As we neared the end of our discussion, it was clear both these women have paved unique paths in the aquaculture sector. And while it definitely hasn't always been easy, I think their experiences are important to share and lighting the way for others to follow. 
I just want to give a big thanks to Amanda and Taja for sharing their insights on this topic, and I will leave you all with these little nuggets of wisdom. Be open-minded. I feel like it is scary. I was scared when I first started, especially the farming part of it. I'm still very much like, what am I doing? But I think that um, the more open-minded you are and the more you ask for help and reach out and like just learn the more comfortable you get with doing things and asking questions and just being more involved um so i guess the biggest thing is have an open mind and research things if you're not sure about something and you're like i'm curious but like i don't know if i want to do that just like research it and find groups that may do similar things like I found minorities in aquaculture, and now we're here. And the groups like that are super supportive, and there's no stupid questions, and they're willing to help and guide you and show you something different than what you're used to. Um, even if you don't like it, at least you tried and experienced something else. And then, yeah. So I would just say open mind and research and... Um, try meeting people in your community that do the thing that you're interested in or afraid of doing and just take a leap. Okay, just one positive thing that I've learned through my research is that like gender norms are not um, stagnant and they are changeable and I've definitely seen things change over the past like four or five years at the dock that I work at. I feel like very included and a part of the crowd and I see when Taja comes down that they love her <laughs> and welcome and accept you too. So I feel like I've seen a very like perceivable shift in the atmosphere, but um, I think what it requ I think you have to push people's boundaries and like push them into spaces where they feel uncomfortable and make them learn to love it. Because they love, I think they love having us around. We had a lot of pizzazz. <laughs> <laughs>